So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. Second reading, our gospel reading, comes from Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus and Paul 
talk about sin and sinfulness, I start to feel uncomfortable. These two passages directly address human sin. One is from Paul's epistle to the Colossians, who were dealing with some problems as a group, a hollow and deceptive philosophy, it says in Colossians 2, verse 8. Perhaps this was related to some kind of misguided worship or belief system. The other text is Jesus' story in response to someone who wanted him to arbitrate an inheritance decision. Paul addresses a multitude of sins, a whole list of them, in fact, in case we should be feeling too self-righteous. Jesus addresses only the sin of greed, or more accurately from the Greek, covetousness. In his story about a rich man who wants to store up his crops for years to come, I know that I begin to feel uncomfortable with these texts because I know that I am potentially, at least, guilty of at least a good few of the sins that Paul refers to, or I have been at some point in my life, and I don't like feeling guilty. I don't think any of us do enjoy that feeling. Sin, though, is big business in the modern world. If TV and the movies didn't focus on this nice list of sinful behaviors that Paul gives us, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, it wouldn't be nearly so much fun to watch. Maybe I'd get a lot more done in the evenings if there weren't so many great Netflix crime series to follow. There's something that grabs and engages us about the evils that human beings are capable of, perhaps because all of us know that to some degree we're capable of being tempted by this list of sins, if not to actually carry them out. And greed, which Paul helpfully writes, is idolatry. Well, who isn't guilty to some extent, and in one way or another, of greed? We enjoy one too many helpings of dessert. Many of us may do that this afternoon. We feel good when Zillow says our home value has increased. We save money for retirement or for a rainy day, and we celebrate when our 401k grows. How is that different from the wealthy man who stored up his grain? Is it different? Our New Testament professor at Austin Seminary is one of the most entertaining teachers I've ever encountered. As we studied Luke, Professor Louis Donaldson would say about certain passages, did Jesus really say that? Did he mean it? I really wish he hadn't said that. He said we had to love our enemies, love someone who's hurt us, or worse, hurt someone we love. He said we should give away all our possessions or sell them and give our money to the poor. 
He said we shouldn't store up our excess grain or treasures or money, but we should give them all away. It's so inconvenient that Jesus said these things. And yet Jesus did say them, and I'm sure he meant them. Jesus is extremely critical of the rich man who wanted to keep all his grain to himself. Now there are some definite clues in Jesus' story that this rich man was not focused on God and on things of the Spirit, but rather on his own needs alone. Sometimes it helps to look very closely at the text of the Gospels, at the actual words used to express what is being portrayed to us. Language is so important. The rich man speaks in the first person. He thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now you don't need to be a literary scholar or a skilled biblical exegete to recognize that this rich man, whom Jesus soon calls a fool, is utterly and completely focused on himself. John Carroll writes that the economy that Jesus lived in was one where food was far from abundant, and people's needs for the basics of life were often dire. And yet, this man has no thought of sharing his abundance with others. He doesn't even mention family or friends. Perhaps he doesn't have any, and we can imagine why. He is so pleased with himself, and he plans to be even more self-satisfied once his new barns are full to the brim. Strangely, our rich friend addresses not merely himself, but his soul in this self-satisfied way. Soul, eat, drink, and be merry. You can almost hear him saying, who cares about the rest of the world? I'm doing just fine, thank you. Here lies the sinfulness, in the greed, in the desire to keep all the richness of life to himself, in the mistaken belief that his soul will be nourished by eating, drinking, being merry, while he doesn't even notice that others are going hungry around him. Jesus says that he is not rich toward God. The sin is not in the abundance that his fields produced. The sin is not even in the careful storing of the grain, because that must be done in any society that relies on agriculture. It's simply good stewardship. 
The sin is in the self-centered, self-satisfied approach to life that pays no regard to the world around him, that takes comfort in the hoarding of treasure. Some of you may have read a wonderful 19th century classic by George Eliot, Silas Marner. Silas is a lonely man who stores up gold for himself but has no relationship with any of his neighbors. From time to time, he takes out his gold from its hiding place under the floor just to admire and recount it. His gold is stolen one day, and he is broken down by grief. Then one day, a small child wanders to his cottage door. He takes her in and raises her, and gradually this little golden-haired girl replaces the only treasure he formerly knew. It's a classic story of redemption from the sin of greed. Paul tells us that instead of focusing on earthly distractions which lead to sin, we should seek the things that are above. All there is a reason that human beings have always looked up in order to find God. It's not that we believe, as we did as children, that God resides in the sky, but when we turn our gaze, our thoughts, our spirits upwards to the endless expanse of the heavens, we naturally lift our hearts to seek the things of the Spirit. Sometimes the world and its temptations and sins will seem to fall away, and then we understand what it means to focus on the ways of Christ. When we look heavenward, we can set aside all that keeps us tethered to the world and its obsessions, its needs, its longings, comprehending just a little the ways of the divine. Lift up your hearts, we say. We lift them to the Lord. To be able to do this, we must, as Jesus said, take care and be on our guard. We must be watchful for the intrusion of the darker emotions, anger, malice, greed. Watchfulness is the key. Jesus teaches us in this story to be watchful. He taught us in Matthew also to be watchful, to be perpetually aware of the needs of our souls. When Lon and I and sometimes Erica drive up here to Jasper, we take the back roads away from the, the speed and the anxiety of the interstate. Lon and I are both bird lovers, and we find immense joy in the beauty of the bird life along 41. We look each time for the eagle that perches high in the tallest pine, close to its nest, waiting, observing, drinking in the expanse of the woods and the waters. Often we see swallowtail kites 
that soar and swoop, skimming above the canopy, ever watchful for a meal. Almost every visit, we notice ospreys hovering over the open landscape. And once in a while, if we go back late, in the half-light, a wide-eyed, all-knowing owl lifts and glides through the silent trees. The birds are the embodiment of watchfulness. Their very existence depends on surveying the landscape, awake and aware of their surroundings, whether at rest or on the wing. Our grandson, Bennett, is a watchful child. Some of you have met him. You probably noticed that he's shy at first. His brother is not. One day we'll bring him. Bennett, though, likes to watch what people do. We took him to the most precious little music and movement class for toddlers for several weeks, close to our, our home. While the other toddlers jumped and danced and ran around in circles, Bennett watched carefully everything that was going on, staying close to us, not yet ready to throw himself into the dance of life, not sure yet if this was for him. As a grandparent, I find it much easier to allow the children to do what they need to do. As a parent, I probably would have pushed and encouraged a little more. When we would get home from that class, I would sing the songs that Bennett had heard. And there, in the safety of Nana and Baba's house, he went through the motions that he had internalized as he'd watched the others. I was amazed at his ability to pay such close attention. There is so much that we can learn from the creatures around us and from small children. If we can approach life with attention, with watchfulness, with great care that all we say and do is attuned to the things of the Spirit, to the ways of God, we will, as Paul puts it, have stripped off the old self with its practices. And we will have clothed ourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. We will become attentive to our actions and our motives. We can become rich towards God. There is tremendous benefit to be achieved from attentiveness or from the spiritual practice of mindfulness. While we may associate mindfulness and meditation more with Eastern religions, there is a centuries-long tradition of contemplative spiritual practice in the Christian faith. Quietness, even lengthy silence, can focus our hearts on God. Practicing mindfulness not only calms the spirit and refocuses the mind, 
but has positive health benefits too. And it can help us to subdue those feelings of unrighteous anger, resentments, unproduct unproductive fear for our future well-being, negative thoughts and language towards others. So indulge me, if you will, for a moment or two of quietness. Close your eyes. Allow your mind to see a scene of great beauty, a sunset over the ocean, the still and silent woods, a flowing river. See the osprey hover silently and calmly overhead. Be a part of it for a moment. Breathe slowly and deeply and set your heart on God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Amen. And now if you would, let us stand and say together what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. <laughs>